This is Tamarindo Podcast. I'm Brenda Gonzalez. And I'm Ana Sheila Victorino. This is the Latinx Podcast where we discuss politics, pop culture, and how to balance it all con calma. Welcome to the show. with Cecilia Munoz, the author of More Than Ready, Be Strong and Be You, and Other Lessons for Women of Color on the Rise. Welcome back, Tamarindo listeners. We are back in your ears for the latest in podcasting in the time of Corona. Brenda, what's good with you? Como andas today? Hello, hello, everybody. I'm doing well, Tamar uh, Tamarindo. I'm doing well, Ana Sheila. I'm back in LA. So, if folks were have been following along. You might you might know that I left Los Angeles as soon as the news hit to get indoors, and I went to Joshua Tree, and I enjoyed uh, my time there with my in-laws and my husband. It was so much fun. But now we're back in Los Angeles. But the good news is, I'm reunited with my matraca. Yeah. <laughs> Got a little stuck there, but I guess that, how are you? I am back in LA as well. I was in Riverside with my family for a bit, so back in LA, currently under a blanket in my closet, back in the closet still to give you guys some, the best audio that we can at the moment. <laughs> yeah, the best that we can. So under this blanket, I am high. Ya me quité los pantalones. Good thing it's just a podcast and you can't see. Yeah, you can't see me. <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, yes, we're adjusting to the, the to, to the new times. And I want to thank everyone that continues to listen, even though we're not as satisfied with our quality, audio quality. But you know what? We're making it work. And we, we appreciate all of you loyal fans for continuing to come and visit us here on Tamarindo Podcast. Yes. I also want to make some observations uh, in the time of, now that we're, what, week, whatever, seven, eight, nine? Know. I don't even know what week we're in. Let's count. Yes. I, I have really been accepting the fact that I can't go to the gym. And so I've been doing a lot of virtual workouts. Have you been doing some of these, Santa Sheila? Yeah. Yeah. I actually got beach body. What is it? Beach body workout. I think it's what it's called the platform. And I had never, I had heard of it for years, but I had never used it. And it's actually really affordable. It's $13 a month. And oh, yeah, that is really good. Yeah. And it's less than what I was paying at the gym. And actually like they're very well thought out classes or, or programs. So I've actually been doing much better doing that than when I was just trying to go to the gym on my own. So it, it's been professionalists. That's great. Professionalists, exactly. <laughs> Hopefully one day I will also be a professional working on it. Pero you know, we definitely want to be doing some sort of stuff like that. We've been doing our Tamarindo Tuesdays at 10 on Instagram live at Tamarindo podcast. And we did do one workout, which was super cool, interactive, but the two of us, and of course people who are, who are watching can jump in, but we want to explore doing some more of that programming. Maybe it's via zoom, maybe it's whatever, some other way. I, I would be curious, all of you listeners to so please contact us and let us know if that's something that is of interest to you or what are the things that you have liked or haven't liked of virtual workouts? I know for me, yeah. it's the challenge of getting the music to come through plus the instructor to come through. So yeah. if y'all have, have figured that part out, let us know. Let us know. <laughs> yeah. And, and Brenda, what else? Is there anything, you know, I feel like 
you know, quarantine, we're going through these transitions, right? Like there's a period at the beginning of it, you're doing certain things and then, and then, then you start doing different things and it just keeps, you keep kind of transitioning through it. And I'm wondering if what's the latest other than the workouts, anything else that, that now you've been doing that you weren't doing at the beginning of, of quarantine? Yes, actually. Yes, yes, yes. So one thing that I'm doing because we've all been switching to virtual and I think some people have made some excellent adjustments now in week, whatever week that we're in, I've been taking a comedy writing class and that has been really cool. I think this, this particular instructor has been excellent about being interactive and engaging. So I think people are adjusting. Some people are adjusting really well to doing things online. So I've been taking a comedy writing class. I know something else that went really well online and that was our uh, virtual book club. Ah, that was oh so much God. fun. So good. Yeah. So you want to, you want to share those, share with the listeners a little bit more about that? Yes. Yeah. So, um, if you all were not part of it, um, I want to encourage you to tell us if you would like to be on future virtual book clubs like this, but we decided just taking advantage of the fact that we're all virtual now and that we love to read. We, we selected the book mean by medium Gurba. Medium Gurba is a phenomenal writer that we were introduced to because she was one of the first to criticize American dirt. And we know what basura that was. And so we wanted to, celebrate her and her writing outside of the context of American Dirt. So we picked her book. It was a phenomenal read. Again, it's mean. It's a memoir. It is full of, um, of amazing zingers is what I call them. Just like burn after burn after burn. Every single sentence is just such, such a work of art. And so that's what a lot of the readers had to say as well. So we want to recommend that book, but then she was so gracious. She was part of our virtual book club. And so we got to hear her read a passage. We got to ask her questions. It was just super, super rad. What did you like about it? Yeah. I mean, everything. I mean, it was, it was so cool to be able to you know, in our own little way, amplify Latinx authors that are not getting the attention that they should be by mainstream publishing media. So it was great to be able to do that with what we both thought was an excellent book. Like I, I loved it. The pace, her energy, it was comedic. It was like, you know, it was, it was also tragedy. Um, you know, like I kept taking screenshots throughout the book just because she had such strong passages and lines and observations. And yeah, I loved it. And it was really cool to be able to bring participants into it from, from all over the country, right. Which we now have the capacity to do in this in this virtual world. So to have us all share um, what resonated with us on a personal and, and, and a cultural level, and then to have those reflections colored by the actual author of the book, like that was just so special. It was so great. And all of you listeners, if you weren't part of it, but you would be interested in doing some more of these virtual meetups and gatherings, do get in contact with us. We want your feedback. We can't stress that enough that we really do want to hear from you. So contact us, contact at tamarinopodcast.com. Let us know if a, another virtual club is something that would make you excited. So come yeah. on over to that. But speaking yes. of other books that we've been reading during the quarantine today, we have the author of more than ready, be strong and be you and other lessons for women of color on the rise. And her name is Cecilia Munoz. Super exciting to have Cecilia Munoz join us on Tamarindo. Let me tell you a little bit about her. So Cecilia spent two decades at the National Council of La Raza, which is now called Unidos US. If that sounds familiar to you, it's because I worked there for five years as well. And after that, she worked for eight years on President Obama's senior team, first as Director of Intergovernmental Affairs, 
then as director of the Domestic Policy Council. She is now the vice president for public interest technology and local initiatives at New America and is the recipient of a MacArthur Genius Award. That means we spoke to a genius. Isn't that exciting? Basically a genius, badass, chingona, and what a pleasure. <laughs> yes, and this is another advantage of, um, not advantage, because I mean, none of this is really an advantage of the times, but uh, a positive outcome of being forced to stay home is that it's it's encouraged us to have more virtual interviews. So we were able to have Cecilia Munoz, who lives in Washington, D.C., and so we're so excited that, that our willingness to adapt with the times and, and do these remote interviews gave us the opportunity to interview Cecilia. So uh, it's going to be a great treat. I hope that you all um, stick around and listen to the interview. But I do want to pause for one second. The book is fantastic. I think it's a, it's a gift to all of us that have ever been the, the only ones in the room that have ever felt self-doubt, that have ever wondered if we're meeting a quota or if we're there because we're smart or we have something valuable to add. This is a great book for anyone that's ever felt that way. And guess what? Everybody's felt that way. So you're going to take something away if you read this book more than ready. Uh, but I do also want to um, mention, of course, that uh, Cecilia Munoz was an advocate for 20 years on the front lines on immigration reform. And then she joined President Obama's team. And she was there for the, the, the duration of the administration. And we all know that President Obama's immigration record is less than stellar. There's definitely some room for reflection on things that could have gone better. But I, I want to explain that and call that out, but also mention that that's part of what makes the conversation with Cecilia and this book so important is because she talks about that. She talks about being an advocate and then all of a sudden being criticized, right? Being on the receiving end. I really love um, how authentic and genuine her book is. I took a lot of great nuggets from it. I think all of you will hear that as well. Right now in the conversation, you're, you're going to hear some of Cecilia's strategies for fighting self-doubt. You're going to hear some of her experience. You're going to hear about everyday heroes that inspire her. All right. So we want to make sure that you get a chance to hear from Cecilia Munoz. So we're going to go ahead and play that interview. But before that, we are going to take a quick break. Listeners, we have some important information we want to share with you from Unidos U.S., the largest Latino civil rights and advocacy organization in the country. We know that even in the best of times, making healthy decisions can be tough, and the coronavirus and economic crisis hitting our country isn't going to make it any easier. As schools nationwide are closed to help stop the spread of coronavirus, millions of children are flocking to digital platforms and are being exposed to an environment where their rights and health are at risk. That's because there's a surprising way that your child's online activity can harm their health. When food and beverage companies aggressively target them with advertisements for junk food, while many sites and platforms provide an educational lifeline and respect children's digital rights, marketers rely on big data and digital techniques to blur the lines between content and advertisements and reach children and teens through websites, social platforms, and mobile devices, making it tough for even the most involved parent to protect their kids from these practices. Unidos U.S. believes that the practice of targeted marketing is a major racial and health equity issue because companies specifically target children and youth of color with marketing for foods and drinks that are low in nutrition and high in sugar, salt, and fats. Doing this reinforces health inequities where Latino children are more likely to suffer from obesity or are more likely to develop diabetes and or heart disease as adults. This practice is especially harmful to the nation's Latino children. They get a double dose of targeted marketing in both English and Spanish, increasing the number of ads designed to negatively influence their nutrition choices. 
this issue might take a backseat to basic coronavirus survival. There is hope that when this crisis is behind us, Congress will do the right thing to better protect kids in the digital space. Until then, you can learn more about digital privacy and food marketing and what it means for your kids with some of the resources that we'll have link in our show notes. We want to make you aware and to remind you that even the most caring and informed parents find the changing digital space tough to navigate and to keep up with, but it's worth trying for the health of our children. You can learn more at unidosus.org. Well, thank you, Cecilia Munoz, for being on Tamarindo. I'm so thrilled to have you here on the show. We're so thrilled to have you on the show. We've been, I've been loving the book. The book is More Than Ready, Be Strong and Be You for Women of Color on the Rise. And I think that's uh, a lot of our listeners are definitely women of color on the rise. And um, I love the way the book is organized. And I want to talk about early on something, of course, that creeps in all the time is is self-doubt for women on the rise, for anybody, really. And I love the way you talk about doubt and you organize four strategies for combating doubt. You say, um, ask for feedback, do the work, empower your team, and be true to you. And I... um, wanted to list those out for our, for our listeners, because I think it's something that we kind of come back to throughout the book. And I want to have you describe for us, how did you arrive and distill it to those four strategies? So first of all, thank you so much for having me. I've so been looking forward to this conversation. So in preparing the book, I, I both thought about my own career trajectory. I've been at it for more than 30 years in Washington now, but I also talked to seven other women of color from a variety of different communities. And the reason, the way I landed on those four strategies is because they were common to all of us. I found it just fascinating that we all deal with this problem of doubt. And there's two kinds, really. There's the times that we doubt ourselves, which is really common. But there's also the times when we are aware that the people sitting at the table with us doubt that we belong with what we're doing. And I tell a very, you know, a very telling story about that from my own career, from when I was promoted to a senior job at the White House. And the outgoing chief of staff told people that he was really disappointed that I got that job. And he implied that he felt I wasn't qualified for it. And that cost me a couple of years of confidence. And I, by that time, I'd already been at the White House three years. And I sat at that table looking at the other people with me and thinking, well, shoot, if the former chief of staff thought that about me, then how do I know that's not what these people are thinking? I had to work through that, and it, it, it really did take me a couple of years. The strategies that I landed on turned out to be the same strategies that the other people, other women that I spoke to landed on. So this notion of asking for feedback was so incredibly useful. Like I found and kind of deliberately selected people who it was safe to sit down in their offices and say, I think I just screwed this up or that meeting didn't go well, or it feels to me like I'm bringing people along with me, but am I like, how am I doing? I'm pretty relentless about doing that. And I, I think it matters that you find people who aren't going to hold it against you, that you're asking for feedback, who aren't going to see it as a sign of weakness, but rather as a sign of you wanting to up your game. So I, I wouldn't ask feedback from everybody. Definitely not. But I did find people who I knew would tell me the truth. And actually, principal among them was Valerie Jarrett, who I knew I could go into her office and close the door and get the truth, even if it was not easy to hear, because she was as invested in my success as I was. So so asking for feedback is a strategy that I highly recommend, although it matters that you be sure that you're going to get the truth, but that it's also going to be safe. 
Then the second strategy, which is do the work, in some ways that's one of the places that the title of the book comes from, More Than Ready. Like this just happens over and over again. When we doubt ourselves, what we do, we women and women of color in particular, is we make sure we've done our homework. We make sure we're ultra prepared. Every single woman that I spoke to in preparing this book said the same thing. Yeah, you know how I made sure that even if I wasn't feeling fully self-confident that I gave myself the confidence I need, I did it by doing the work, by being prepared. And that's over and over again, it's what we do. And you know, when I very first came to Washington, the guy who hired me, who you know, Charles Kamasaki said to me, you know, look, this is just, it's not fair, but this is how it is. You're short, you're a woman, you're a Latina, you're new. You're going to have to work twice as hard as everybody else to be thought of as being just as good. And he was right. And it was true then. I think it's still true. I think it's, I still think it's unfair, but we've kind of all internalized that. So we, we do the work, right? And that's how we prove to everybody that we've got what it takes. And frequently it's also how we prove to ourselves that we've got what it takes. I love that. And uh, you also talk about empowering your team, mm-hmm. um, and, 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 and especially for those that are supervisors, perhaps. But also, if you don't have a team, about assembling your team, and perhaps that's also kind of where you get your, your folks that could give you that honest feedback. Can you talk a little bit about that, about empowering your team or, or recruiting a team? Yeah, I mean, not everybody is a supervisor, but everybody has coworkers and colleagues and associates. You know, I, so I had a team. I was a supervisor at the White House, but I also had a circle. And I talk about it at various points in the book. We call ourselves Team Latino at the time, although most of us were Latinas. It was overwhelmingly women. And they were women at different levels, right, of of our careers. And I didn't supervise most of them, so I wasn't their boss. But we watched out for each other. We were, you know, we were invested in each other's success. And we gave each other feedback. And it did not feel to me, like even though I was the most senior person in the room, I was getting way more than I was giving because, again, it was a circle of safety, a circle where we were watching out for each other and where we could say to each other, you know what, this course of action feels like it's what you should take, but don't, not that one, like be careful about that one because that's a den of vipers over there. Like we could give each other advice. We could process like, what is it that just happened and now what do I do? And I was as comfortable asking that kind of question and revealing that like, I'm not sure I know the way right now. We've got to figure this out. That's, you know, these were really hard jobs. And it is empowering to your friends, to your colleagues, even to your subordinates, to kind of share what you're struggling with. It's not a sign of weakness. It's actually a sign of strength because it turns out we all struggle with these things. I just don't think we talk about it enough. Yeah. And then, you know, the, the other, it's in, it's in the title of your book, but it's your fourth strategy. Be true to you. And, and you talk about folks having their compass and referring to that. It comes through in the book that you've always been true to you as well. So can you talk about how challenging it could be to be true to yourself? This is really essential. And in some ways, it's at the heart of why I wrote this book in the first place. The decisions that are made in policy circles, in companies, like all of the decisions that people make that are affecting our lives right now are being made by people, by people who are not us for the most part. Right. People who don't, those decisions are largely being made by men. They're largely white men. And they're making enormous decisions which affect our very lives. And they don't understand us. They don't know who we are. And we need to be at those tables making those decisions. And it is essential that we understand. And it took me a long time to get there. 
that just by virtue of who you are, if you are sitting at the table, the people who you are sitting with need you there. They need your experience. They need what we know. They need to better understand our communities and our families uh, and our segments of the country. They may not know that they need that, but they do need that. There is now reams of data and evidence that show that the more diverse a circle of people is, the better the decisions that they make. They make decisions more quickly. The decisions are of a higher quality. They get better results. And you know, most of the decisions throughout our country's history have been made by the same kinds of people in the same circle. And, you know, at the moment, you can see how far that's gotten us. So I think we need to walk into whatever room we're in with the confidence that whether the other people in that room know it or not, they need us and they need what we bring. And if we walk in with that knowledge and, and that understanding, it, you know, we can take confidence from that. Yeah, no, I love that because you you realize, well, you talk about this a lot in the book about kind of going back and forth, like, am I here because I am valuable or am I here because I'm checking a box? I, I think if we all come back to that point that no, actually data proves that when there's uh, diversity in the room, we make together collectively, we make better decisions. So I guess for listeners out there to to remind ourselves about that is a, one, one of the ways to quiet that. Am I just a quota here? What, what box right. am, I being am I helping to check? I want to come back to doing the work. One of my mentors is someone that, that you know as well, Delia de la Vara at, at um, Unidos US. And I think for her, I mean, she taught me, taught me about that as well. Like you got to do the work and, and there's no escaping that, right? Like that, any self-help book, all of it, you are not going to escape doing the work. But you'd also talk about um, acknowledging when you, when you need help and when you have to ask questions. And sometimes there's this challenge of like, well, am I going to look like a leader or am I going to look stupid if I'm asking questions? But how do, how do you quiet that, that doubt about looking not strong enough because you need help or you ask questions? Yeah, I have learned to think of this as a, a sign of strength, not a sign of weakness. Because, and you know, look, I have the vantage point of working for one of the smartest people in the world and the most powerful man in the world. I was working for the president of the United States. As brilliant as he is, he didn't know everything. He, there were times he needed help. And he also understood that he was going to do a better job and be able to make better decisions if he could say in the moment, wait a minute, I'm not tracking. Like, back up, talk me through that again because I'm not following like, or I don't understand this issue. It happens to everybody, to 100% of people. And the brave ones, the most effective ones, are the ones who can say, wait, stop for a second. I, I you know, I, I don't understand this. I need you to explain it to me. And I would go as far as to say, even with folks on my team, I knew I was going to have to walk into a room with the president of the United States sitting there. You can't fake it in that kind of situation. It's not, and it's never good to fake it. So I could say to my team, wait a minute, I don't, I'm sorry, I, I don't understand this. Walk me through. Or I would say, all right, I'm going to talk you through it so that you can assess the degree to which I really understand it and I'm really able to explain it. And, you know, it, it definitely crossed my mind that while these people might think I'm a real idiot because this is something they know really well and I'm just learning here. But I also learned that they really appreciated, one, that I was just honest and authentic, and two, that I wasn't trying to fake it. It turned out to be an asset that I was not that person who felt like they had to be the know-it-all. They had to be the one, you know, that presents themselves as having all the information because it's almost never true. <laughs> Even when you're working with brilliant people, there everybody's got blind spots, everybody's got gaps, and the effective ones are the people who can admit them. 
But you have to do that in a way that also demonstrates that you're doing the homework and that you're doing the work. Like if this is not about skating by on somebody else's knowledge. This is about doing the really hard work to be prepared and acknowledging when you still need to know stuff. I love that. So what I took away from that is that it's actually a sign of strength and bravery when you admit that you need some more information and to ask questions. And also that fake it till you make it maybe is not the right strategy and being being true to yourself is that ultimately the better approach. Look, people are expecting us to fake it, right? We, we know that when we enter the room that there are going to be people who have low expectations just on the basis of who we are because it's just true. And so that's part of why we are so used to being the people who do the work because I think we walk around with the knowledge that if anybody catches us out, they're going to think it proves them right, that we're not ready, that we're not capable. You know, we're still in an environment where I think we walk around feeling like we can't afford that. But any mistake that you make, especially if you're a first, the first person like you in a job, as I was, or if you're the only one in the room, you're not just speaking for yourself. We all know that. We all know there's like people are going to form their impressions of us as a community on the basis of the one person who's sitting in the room. And that is inherently unfair. But it's also just true. This reminds me because I, I had the opportunity to see you in this exact frame, actually. You were part of a Zoom conversation with Alisa Mendez, and you both talked about this moment in time and the fact that we're all on Zoom, that actually one of the benefits of these Zoom meetings is that there isn't a head of the table. That we're all, uh, there's kind of this more democratic approach to these meetings where we might actually have more of a chance to say something. So this moment right now reminds reminded me of that. And I wanted to call that out here. And maybe since I've taken us to this moment right now, uh, what has, what has this moment right now of us, of um, isolation uh, taught you or has surprised you? It's interesting to me how we're all reacting to, obviously this is an unprecedented time. It's challenging us in so many ways. I'm kind of haunted by the extent to which our community is among the worst affected. But like you and I could have predicted that before this happened. Like if somebody had sat us all down and said, there's going to be a pandemic and an economic downturn, who do you think is going to feel it the worst? We all knew the answer and we now have the data that shows the answer. So I am struck by the extent to which this crisis is kind of unveiling inequities that we already knew about but are now becoming more visible to people. You know, we are thinking a lot harder, as we should, about caregivers around who's an essential worker and why is it that 40% of them don't even earn $15 an hour. Like, if we are depending on these people to harvest our crops and then drive the produce to the market where we are then going and picking it up or having it delivered, but somebody is delivering it, we are relying on these people who are both much more at risk and getting sicker at a higher rate. And by the way, they don't even earn a living wage. Like we already knew that was true, but it's darker now. So I, I think this time that we're in is revealing a lot about what we need to change. And importantly, that it really is on all of us to change it. But we live in a democracy. This is, this is all in our hands. And if we want to do better, that's kind of up to us. I, I like that. Yeah, that, I mean, I like that it's up to us. And re a reminder for all of you all listening that it is up to us. And it's hard to draw any sort of hope from what's happening other than it's kind of, it, it, like you're saying, a lot of us know about these inequalities, but now more of us know. And, and the positive is that hopefully more of us will act. 
and that we can change that. So that's a that's something that I think is is hopeful from this moment. Something else about this moment is, of course, observing the heroes among us. And you do talk mm-hmm. about your book about everyday heroes and and how you know we might be used to classrooms where we're surrounded by presidents that all look a certain way and and are you know monuments, etc. But you, there's everyday heroes all among us. Specifically, you know, you name a few, but you also talk about um, Lorela Praeli. Um, and I want to know if you could talk a little bit about her and, and you do describe her as someone that is true to herself while also being strategic and tactical. And, and of course, we're talking about in her advocacy for immigration reform and advocacy around immigration. So can you tell me a little bit more about her and just this notion of everyday heroes? Yeah. So Loyal has become a dear friend of mine. She, I got to know her when she was working as an organizer for United We Dream, you know, the, the, the people in the Dream Act movement which she was part of. And she was one of those people who was obviously, you know, deeply affected by the inequities in our our immigration system, you know, had some very clear things she wanted the administration to do, and she was not afraid to say them, which is exactly right. Not afraid to hold our feet to the fire, but also did it in a way which was always asking the question, how far can we get? How can we, like, what do you need from us to do your part? And here's what we need from you in order to do our part. She was always very clear, and I just respected her and still respect her so much as an advocate. She then went on to become the Latino vote director of Hillary Clinton's campaign, which meant she went from a like an ultra-organizing movement organization to the heart of American politics at the highest level, which is an enormous and challenging job. And, I, you know, I promise you that being... You know, even in a campaign that's hiring lots of people of color and is working hard in our community, generally campaign operatives are still pretty old school and are still getting used to the level of diversity that's really required. And that's really, really hard work. And she did a, a brilliant job. She went from there to the ACLU. She is now running an organization called Community Change Action. But in all cases, what she is about is what are the steps required to make the change? Like, it's not enough to be right. It's not enough to be righteous. We have to be those things. But we also have to understand where the levers are and figure out which ones we can move because even if we don't achieve perfection, we have to make progress because life depends on it. And so I, you know, she's someone whose judgment I relied on a lot when I was in the White House and and who I still rely on. And I think it's worth saying, and she's very upfront about it, and this is one of the things I mentioned in the book, you know, she has challenges in her life that are different than other challenges of folks in the immigrant rights movement and that she's also a person with a disability. She lost a leg as a child. And, you know, she is interested in making sure that that's visible and clear. It's part of who she is. And, you know, and I watched her take on this athletic challenge. She went through a program that was about helping people to develop their full capacity, including take tech tackling physical challenges that I can't even imagine, which requires a particular kind of courage and strength. When I talk about heroes in the book, it's interesting. My editor wanted me to write about heroes, and I think what they were expecting was, you know, lifting up women of in history who I admire. But I, I, I kind of don't look at the world that way. I think there are heroes all around us, and I think what makes a person a hero is not kind of what got handed down to us was we were talking about heroes in school, these, you know, men from another era who, you know, appeared to possess superior wisdom. I just don't think that's true. I don't think that's who those men were. And I think it it creates the sense that 
heroism is something that somebody else has. And I don't think that's true. That chapter is really focused on how you can be the hero in your own life, but also on women who I have met who are younger than me, who I have learned from and admire and I think are extraordinary as a way of communicating. Don't think of heroes as somebody else. Think of the hero in you and what you need to bring that person to the forefront. Well, that's, that's beautiful. So I think that's a great place to pivot to our rapid fire questions, but I, I think that's a wonderful place to, to leave it on and to hopefully inspire all of you to please read the book. It's called More Than Ready. And you're going to walk away inspired in the same way that I'm feeling inspired and, and motivated and less intimidated and less fearful. So I want to really thank you for, for telling us a little bit about what, what, what are the nuggets that folks can distill from it. And of course, a lot more if you read the whole thing. So um, now pivoting to some of our rapid fire questions. One is, uh, what has been your go-to COVID snack? So I'm baking bread. I'm one of those people. Uh, it's got to be bread because I somehow think of putting loaves in the oven as really therapeutic. And as a result, I'm eating a lot of bread. Well, I love bread. Bread is amazing. So that's great. I haven't, I've been intimidated by the fact that there's like steps, but it was like more than several steps involved in the bread thing. So I've been doing some baking, but not too much of the, the bread making. Maybe I'll graduate to that. So what we always ask all of our guests, uh, what gets a matraca or a shout out? Like what's a person, place, thing, concept that you want to give a shout out to? To the people who are watching out for their neighbors. I see this happening everywhere in small ways, in large ways. You know, talk about people who are finding ways to be heroes. We're seeing a lot of that now, and it gives me so much hope and joy. I love that. That's great. And then sort of to counter that, uh, what goes in la basura? What are you sick of? What do you want to cancel? Person, place, thing, concept? How about the Trump administration? Yes. Amen. <laughs> uh, you want to guess how many people have put Trump in the basura? <laughs> many. Probably yeah. a lot of all of our guests. Um, and then, of course, what is one way that you find balance or your calma moment is what we like to call it here? Uh, one of the ways that you pause and just get stay grounded? You know, I'm doing a lot of yoga. I've started to take up meditation because I really need to slow down everything that's happening in my brain and kind of remember what's most important. Um, so it's a, a way of accessing kind of the inner strength that you need to find when times are uncertain and unstable. So that's become important to me. That's great. I've, I've been trying to do that as well as I know you described yourself as a, as a nerd, basically. Like a policy yeah. nerd. It's very yeah. difficult to quiet your brain when you're constantly thinking about policy. Well, um, I really appreciate you spending some time with us, uh, Cecilia. This was phenomenal. I can't wait to finish the book. I'm just, uh, I've got about, I don't know, 20 pages left, but I, I'm just thrilled that we had this opportunity to, to speak to you and uh, how can folks stay connected with you? What's the best way? Well, so there's a website, CeciliaMunoz.com. If folks are interested in the book, I'm encouraging folks to get it from um, an independent bookseller. You can find them at IndieBound.org. And yeah, there's a way to reach me through the website or, and I work at an organization called New America. So all of that is fair game. And thank you so much for having me on. I'm so honored to be here. This is amazing. Thank you very, very much. Enjoy the rest of your day. Thank you. Bye-bye.
conversation with Cecilia. I just want to thank her again for joining us virtually on Tamarindo. I think there's a lot of great nuggets in there. I especially like this idea of assembling your team, like your team of uh, whether you're a manager or you're not a manager and you just have like your your folks that can give you that honest feedback, that can get back to you and, and tell you where you need to fix things, et cetera. In fact, I, I consider all of our listeners part of that feedback team and we hope that you all reach out to us and let us know what we could be doing so that you can uh, continue to get a lot from this podcast. Uh, were there some other things that stood out for you, Anna Shayla? Yeah. I mean, I really enjoyed the the interview and there, I had so many reflections about things that I want to do more actively and intentionally in, in my life, just from listening to that. In addition to what you shared, I think also thinking about redefining what it means to be strong and, and being a leader on how that also really includes empowering others, right? And, and also that being strong also means being able to ask for help and being vulnerable and how that takes more strength sometimes, right? And then another piece that really stood out to me that I, I even reflected on and, and wrote a journal entry was about being your own hero. You know, she said, be your own hero. So I think that often we idolize people too much. You don't have to be Cecilia Munoz. You don't have to be some of our, you know, some, some of these figures to be a hero. So letting go of these thoughts of like, I wish I could be like, oh, I want to be like this person. Like, no, like be you. You being you is going to create the most powerful impact that you can have on, on your community. So you can be, you know, your own brave and your own strong, your own strong. And, and that's what makes the biggest impact. I love that. I love that. I know I say I love that a lot, but I just love it. Here's Mataka. <laughs> <laughs> I love that. Be your own hero and be you, which is precisely mm -hmm. her message. So fabulous, fabulous, fabulous. Well, um, it's that time of the podcast, Anna Sheila, where we, and you may not have one, but if maybe one, something will inspire you. But what, uh, what is a matraca or basura or a calma? Maybe we could start with the calma. Is there, is there a new calma that's been uh, rising up over the last week or so with you? Well, I think that my, my calma will be my matraca as well. And this is a common calma practice of mine is, is just gratitude and looking for, looking for joy. And I think it's really important to be looking for joy, especially in times like this. And so one thing that I've really found joy in and been energized by during this time is, is, is our collaborations and the people that we've been able to connect with on our show, through our events. I just feel like everyone feels more open, more willing to connect, to share what they, what their unique perspectives and talents are with other people. And so that's been, that's been really beautiful. So I feel like our community feels a lot closer right now. And I think that's so important because I feel like there's a lot that we have ahead of us to do. And so the more that we can support each other, the better off we'll be. So that's what I want to give my matraca. And that's like the calma that I want to offer the people as always look for those, for what to be grateful for, what, you know, little nuggets of joy you can find in your, in your daily life. I love it. Of course. I love it. Doubling down. I'm just going to steal your homework. And I agree. <laughs> uh, well, I, uh, I have a basura. I have a basura. So recently Emily's List, and if you're not familiar with Emily's List, it's an organization that provides fundraising support to women candidates that are pro-choice. So generally an organization that I'm pretty excited about and thrilled about. And uh, they recently made a little graphic because, you know, everybody's making these little graphics about like the Gemini, you know, whatever signs you are, you know, flans in the shape of signs, et cetera. There's like a number of examples. So they did this really cute graphic of a bunch of elected women and uh, by their sign, which, by the way, a very cool way for me to find out that Elizabeth Warren is a cancer like me. So it's really neat. But. You know how many? I don't know how many zodiac signs are there. Twelve? Who knows? 
but none of the, right. none of the women none of the women that they put on there were latinas and there are so many elected latinas in office they had two tammies but not one Latina. So Two Tammies. Gonna... Did they have a Karen? Did they have a Karen? <laughs> I, you know what? I haven't seen, but I, I don't. I have. I don't have the graphic pulled up. But I just know that it's really ridiculous when, first of all, Latinos are disproportionately impacted by COVID-19, as you heard Cecilia and I discuss, when we are such a significant part of the population. When fucking AOC exists. You're not going to put a Latina right. on your list. So big basura for that. <laughs> um, so anyways, maybe you'll co-sign that basura unless you have your own. I'll co-sign you co that. In, in the spirit of collaboration, <laughs> I will also co-sign that basura. Yes, yes, yes. So uh, thanks for copying my homework. I copy off you. It's all good. <laughs> <laughs> all right. So just before we say goodbye, we do have a, a special message from us. <laughs> what's the message? Well, we are so glad that you are here listening to us. Maybe y'all don't know, maybe you do, but we are completely independent and rely on support from all of you listeners. That's right. And there are three easy ways that you can support us. Three very, very easy ways. One is super easy. It doesn't cost you a dime. It's to write us a review on Apple Podcasts. Here is a great example from a listener in New York. I love the show and walk around laughing. Culture, music, family, identity, politics, traditions are all included. So entertaining and insightful. Gracias por todos. Saludos from coast to coast. Aw, I love that. We want more of those. More of those, please. Yes. And number two, you can also share your favorite episode directly to a friend that you think would appreciate listening to our beautiful voices. Yes, send them the link. And then number three, um, if you really get a lot of value from what you hear, we would really appreciate a financial contribution. And you could do that. There's a couple ways you could do it. You can go to tamarindopodcast.com or you can find us on Venmo at tamarindopodcast and any amount really, really helps us. So thank you all for listening. Muchísimas gracias. So great to see you virtually, Ana Sheila. <laughs> yes. Yes, yes. We can't wait to uh, do another one. All right. Stay tuned for more episodes of Tamarindo by subscribing. <laughs> Hasta luego. Y, uh, Hasta Tamarindo Podcast is independently produced by Ana Sheila Victorino and Brenda Gonzalez. Jeff DeVoe provides original music and sound engineering, and Michelle Andrade provides editing and production support. Follow us on Instagram at Tamarindo Podcast and at Twitter at Tamarindo Cast. And if you like the show, please write us a review on Apple Podcasts or share the episode with a friend. Get in touch with us at tamarindopodcast.com. Cuando mi arrendador dijo que el alquiler podría ser más barato si fuéramos amigos con beneficios. Había oído hablar de acoso sexual en el lugar de trabajo, pero en mi casa. Eso es discriminación en la vivienda basada en el sexo. La gente de bienes raíces dijo que estaríamos más cómodos viviendo en un vecindario diferente con gente como nosotros. Por suerte conocíamos nuestros derechos. Es ilegal asustar a los posibles propietarios para que se alejen de ciertos vecindarios en función de raza o nacionalidad. 
Si usted cree que sufrió discriminación o tiene preguntas sobre sus derechos, comuníquese con Fair Housing Foundation, Fundación de Vivienda Justa, al 800-446-3247 o también en línea en fhfca.org. La vivienda justa es su derecho. Este es un anuncio de servicio público de Fair Housing Foundation y respaldado por el Departamento de Vivienda y Desarrollo Urbano HUD bajo la subvención de FIPPI FPEI. 220099. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day, Lil. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at chumbacasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. BGW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.